Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Had a great show for you today with Pierre Carter from South Africa. I've been interested in following some of Pierre's exploits for a very long time. And after hearing the great show with Andy and and Richard and the boys from South Africa with their adventures and misadventures in Pakistan a few shows back, I thought I have got to reach out to Pierre, and he was keen. So we just had a talk. He's over in Johannesburg and planning some cool stuff. You may have seen the XCMag article about his recent uh, ascent and descent by wing of Everest. He's been working on the seven summits for quite some time. He's bagged them all. Hasn't been able to fly off all of them. You'll hear about that because of in Denali, because it's in the national park. And But he's got them all pretty much wrapped up except Vincent down in Antarctica. So we talk about that and that timeline and how it all weaves in and out of his three Red Bull X Alps campaigns in 2009, 11, and 13. Fascinating individual, great storyteller, some wild adventures and uh, and yeah, misadventures, especially in that first Red Bull X Alps that he did in 2009 and a lot of fun. Please enjoy this great talk with the legendary Pierre Carter. Pierre, I've been meaning to do this with you for a decade, man. Uh, I'm finally, I'm, I'm glad we were finally able to put this together. It's nice to see your smiling face there in Johannesburg. And it was nice catching up with you before we hit the record button. But welcome to the mayhem. And how are you, bud? Yeah, very well, Gavin. And uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you for... Uh putting this show together for everybody in the paragliding community. It really is your, your, your platform's amazing. So it, it really gets everyone uh, connected. Yeah. Ah, thanks, thanks man. Well, I, yeah. I, I appreciate that. We were, we were just chatting before we hit record there on what should we cover with you? You you've been flying for 35 years. There's, there's a lot here. My, you know, my heart of course is, is with the, the Red Bull X Alps yeah. and, you competed in it in 2009, 11, and 13, so uh, right before I got into it. And so we've got some storytelling to do there. But maybe before – and then we've got your Seven Summit stuff, which I think is what people are really going to want to hear about. You've got them all done except Vincent, which is – that's an exciting one to leave to the end. Is, well, it's the most expensive uh, Maybe I can join you on that. Left it to the end. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess yeah. getting down there and the whole thing and the ship and yeah, the whole yeah. deal. Yeah. I sailed around Cape Horn a few years back in the oh, winter, wow. but we never we made never made it across the across the passage. But yeah, that'll be that'll be very interesting. So we'll get into we'll get into all that. But maybe before we we get you know we take a a walk and fly down memory lane with the with the X Alps, catch everybody up on your history a bit. You know where did it start? How did it? You know, what was the catalyst? Yeah. How did you get to where you are today? Because your your life has been kind of defined by flying to an extent, right? Yeah. So I started, I think, starting with my climbing, which was, I sort of started when I was in school in, in, in the senior senior years um, and got into that in quite a big way in South Africa. So that's rock climbing, not uh, mountaineering, so to speak. Um, and I uh, eventually um, have always had an inkling to, to fly something. I think it was hang gliders and uh, um, 
can't think of the one with the motor on the back. What's the hang glider? The with the motor. Uh, trike. Trike. Thank you. With a trike. I've always uh, well, I was thinking about that when I was at school, trying to get into that sort of thing. And then uh, I, South Africa had military service back then. I went and did my military service. I came out of that when I was well, twenty years old, and uh, I went off on a climbing expedition with um, Chris Lomax and David Davies, and ADK was in the background as well. Um, he was climbing with his uh, his then American girlfriend. And uh, uh, David Davies was a big hang glider pilot uh, in, in South Africa, uh, the Davies brother, Hilton and David. And uh, he said, no, there's this new thing, paragliding. You, you, must, you must really try it. Eh? Andy's got this little rig here. Uh, so Andy had sort of started, I think, in South Africa in 87, I guess. But he was a big skydiver and base jumper. So he was jumping off hills with his, his, uh, his skydiving rig. Uh, and he'd, uh, I, I then, uh, David then showed me some photographs where he had, uh, I went and climbed a couple of mountains with him, then went off to Machu Picchu, et cetera, and then met up with David again. And he showed me some pictures of Andy uh, sort of plopping off one or two peaks with this with this sort of rag of his. And I thought, oh, that is, that's the way to go, to climb these mountains, because it takes you like you know, six days to climb them and four days to get down and... So it goes. I thought that's definitely what I'm going to try when I get back uh, to Joburg. And uh, so that's where it all began in 88 for me. And I found someone who actually had a hang gliding school in Joburg and they had just bought a paraglider and they were trying to figure it out themselves as well. And uh, yeah, we sort of, uh, she showed me the ropes of, of uh, what not, you know, at a school sort of in a hang gliding way there. And uh, I must have been one of her first students, I guess. And uh, yeah. It's never looked back since then. And then the bug bit where literally my climbing took a dive and, you know, uh, paragliding uh, came to the Took forefront. over. Yeah, yeah, took over. But I've always been climbing and I have linked it up with, uh, with a bit of my mountaineering, uh, hence the seven summits. Um, and, yeah, it's uh, it's been a good ride. But it's always been something as a career. I never really had a proper career, you know, like most people get. A, you know, I've, always, I've always worked to go and fly or go and climb something, so. Uh, yeah, yeah. How do you usually, what kind of work does that typically entail? Uh, I'm a builder. So I've always been a, a builder. So I did a building okay. degree and uh, I tried the big corporate companies. I lasted maybe four years and that was it. And I just, no. and I've pretty much been by myself jumping from small little companies to small little companies. Uh, and they're sort of building up enough cash to go and do a mountain or and then I decided, you know, with the seven summits and I'd save up enough cash over two years and then go and do one of the summits. And uh, so it's been going on since 2005, my, my seven summit sort of bit, yeah. Really? So that started before the your ex-Alps campaigns. It's yeah, quite actually, cool to hear that. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I wanted to start in, in 19, I came up with the idea in 1998, 99, pretty much the same time as Zeb and Claire, Claire did, actually. Uh and they they got sponsorship and just did it in like two years or two and a half years, and uh, I try to get sponsorship, but uh, South Africa is a bit of a oh, they've got other problems to worry about. Eh? So right. uh, yeah, we just I've just been hammering away, and I just thought let me just go for it and uh, save up the money and just go and tick it off as I go along and uh, enjoy the ride. Yeah. So it's very cool to hear that you know you and Andy came out of the climbing scene back in the day and 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 used paragliders as they were kind of first designed, which was a descent tool for, for mountaineers. And then, 
And then now, you know, 35 years later, you guys go and do an expedition together in Pakistan and you're using them as an ascent tool. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, we yeah, just did this yeah. so, show with Jake Holland and, and, you know, he's been doing these crazy trips with Fabi Buell and, and Will Sim and these, you know, really famous climbers who have gotten into paragliding and gotten really good because they just want to avoid the, you know, the tracks. The they want to avoid the five, <laughs> yes. 10 days yes, getting yes. in. And, yeah, it's I've very cool with, yeah. to see it kind of come full circle with you. I mean, and, and it's also very cool to see you guys, you know, you're still friends, you're still doing it, still chasing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we, we're nearing 60 now, both of myself and Andy. So another year and a half, we'll both be 60. We, I think we're the same age. So, yeah. Um, but, Jay, yeah, and I, I met Jake, uh, well, obviously in Pakistan when we were there this last season. And uh, and I met him. Uh, he's filming for, uh, for Horatio and, and, and Tom. And uh, yeah, so we, on, and I was, I was helping him out with all the winching and stuff, and and sort of the background stuff. But it was great, yeah, you know, great, great guys. And uh, Jake told me about some of those uh, those trips of his. It's quite amazing, eh? What he's been doing. Pretty you know, wild. The years. footage is is just yeah. unbelievable. It's very, very inspiring. Very tempting. You you've been off Kili six times. You were saying before we started here. You, that, that's yeah. So part of the that's impressive. To, to get out, we. When I started the seven summits, I thought, okay, I'm just going to be a cowboy and go and do it. Uh, and then I saw people who had done it in the past, got slapped on the wrist, got put into sort of a jail for a couple of days, and then got had to pay a big fine to get out. Um, and I thought, no, actually, I don't feel like doing that. <laughs> so I don't want to go spend a couple of days in some dodgy jail in, in Africa or, or wherever it might be. So I thought, let me try and do it all legally. And uh, to get permission to fly off some of these seven summits, uh, did like Denali, they actually won't let you. They so I've tried Denali. It's actually I've climbed it, but I haven't flown off it. Even though I say I've flown all the seven summits, Denali still eludes me because they won't let me. Uh, they won't let us climb it. Yeah, when I went there in two thousand and when was it fifteen? I think or sixteen. They they actually they must have googled me because as soon as I got there to go and get my permit, they said, "Come into the boardroom, sign this big lawyer's letter. You're not going to fly. Give us your glider, and then we'll give you your permit." So I had to hand all the kit over and they took it all and said, come get it when you come down the mountain. So it was. <laughs> that is really interesting to me. We had a different experience with Denali. So when, when, when we did the, the Alaska range traverse, we really wanted to start in Lake Clark national park because it's, it's truly the end of the Alaskan range. I mean, it, I mean, it, you're only, you only have to be 20 kilometers into it and it's the yeah. start of the Alaskan range and they were just flat out. No way. Not, not going to happen. But, but Denali they'd let you, was. But they'd let you land in the park. See, they'd let me take off somewhere else and land in the park is no problem, but taking off in the park. Ah, right. They said not a right. chance. So yeah, was, you're yeah, right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That was, that's the same. That's the same we got. I mean, we, I brought some films in to show them and we went, you know, I went up months before because I knew that was going to be the make or break thing. So yeah, I went yeah. up months before and, and went to the ranger station there for the Denali, uh, you know, it's on the South side, but it's, we went and sat down with them and they were just fascinated. And, 
And their take was that, hey, we can't treat you any differently than we do a helicopter or a plane. You know, you you can take, you know, because we explained it. We, we could take off from here. It was Heart Mountain. Yeah. It's right outside the park. And on a good day, we'll fly the whole thing. I had no idea, actually, if we could actually do that because I hadn't flown <laughs> up there. But, yeah. but you know, it seemed reasonable. It's But it was, you know, it required, it was over 100K. And, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, and, and I said, but there's a good chance we're not going to make it. So what happens then? And they said, well, you just have to declare an emergency landing. We want to see your trackers. We want to be able to follow you guys. And you have to declare in the air an emergency landing, just like you would if you were flying a plane and then yeah. land, but then you can't relaunch. That's it. So you're right. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so shoot. Was, so it was very, it was very tempting and it still is tempting to, I guess you could always sneak, give them an old glider to confiscate and take uh, your little light one and bomb off. But there's only one road out, which is a bit of a problem. I'm, I'm sure they would stop you before you made it out. If you had someone mm. waiting at, at the bottom with a car and you jumped in the car and you bolted, but it's a long road out. So, yeah. It's a long glide. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long it's glide. It's a yeah. long, long glide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'd, you'd be very visible for a while. Yeah. You'd have to do I mean, it in a very cloudy day or something. <laughs> Just disappear into the clouds. Because, I mean, we were up there and it was it was a balmy day where we, we were in our, our short sleeve shirts, I think. We didn't even have a down jacket on. Oh. That's amazing because is always the coldest, you know. Yeah, so fifteen k's from the a nice sort of north. I think it was northerly wind. It was beautiful. I mean, it was perfect launchable day. But anyway, that's the way the cookie crumbles, eh? So yeah, and, right. uh, oh, Zeb, Zeb and uh, and Claire were the last to fly off. Uh, yeah, and I don't they did fly off. off it. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. And ever since and they got then, caught, or what happened? No, they. I think they they just said. The rangers just said that's it, no more, and they just that's when the big rule came in: no, no paragliding in the park. Yeah, so yeah, so I think they got. Yeah, it'd be yeah, nice to. Slapped, I mean, slapped it'd be nice and, to. You know, Will Will Gad's been pretty successful at lobbying the the Canadian government to. Then they're slowly changing these rules in the Canadian parks. I think he's yes, opened up yeah. two or three now, okay. and you know it's just this ancient rule in the '60s with the Wilderness Act and you yeah, know and how yeah. we're classified as aircraft, and it'd be. It'd be really quite nice to have that rule change. Not yeah. going to happen tomorrow, but that is great. So, as I was saying, we, we sort of I decided to do the legal route. I've, I've gone to each mountain I've approached, and only two really difficult mountains was, was Kilimanjaro to get permission to fly off that, uh, mm. and uh, and Everest. Those those two didn't uh, allow it, and we lobbied. Uh, so my friend uh, um, Linda, who does the paragliding Kilimanjaro tours, uh, and I help out in that. Uh, she lobbied for it must have been about eight years of just knocking on the doors and just going to see the government and the various ministers and eventually they said okay we'll allow you and that was 2011 uh, that they allowed us so we went and did kill you then and, uh, three of us flew off huh. and, yeah how um, long is that glide that's, how long um, are you in the air if, if you, you know, don't thermal once you get below cloud base you can then obviously thermal back up to cloud base but if it's just a straight glide hmm. Down back to the hotel is about anything from 50 minutes to an hour 10. Just gliding. Wow. <laughs> you just Jeez, go and that's go. Amazing. And go. Wow. Uh, but it is. It what, is what, what's the elevate? What's the start and end? So you, you roughly got 5,500 meters of, I think it's the highest top to bottom sort of toffee, uh, if you want to call it. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> it's very, yeah, I mean, so it is it's, beautiful. It is. Uh, yeah, the, the last person I took off, she was 60, 65, I think just over 65. And she, her husband, uh, 
sorry, her, her brother-in-law flew off single and, uh, uh, no, it was her husband, yeah. He flew off by himself and uh, I took her. She must have been six, yeah, in her mid-60s. And literally after five minutes, she fell asleep. <laughs> I mean, she was just so tired. I think an altitude got her. And she fell the whole right. ride down. I mean, her husband was a bit pissed off with her, I'm sure. And I had to wake her up before, <laughs> before we landed. <laughs> hey, wake up. You should probably be watching this. It's yeah. really funny. Yeah. Denali's well, got to be close to that, isn't it? Is it what's Denali? Uh, 23? It must be Because, yeah. I mean, if you if you went off that, I mean, that's almost six. If you went off that, you're, you'd be landing at basically sea level. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. You uh, know, that... Could you land at Moshi there? And Moshi, I think, is around about 500 meters above sea level. So it's, yeah. 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 Huh? So, oh, I hope you get to do it. Well, hey, maybe then I wasn't planning this, but maybe an interesting way to do this is by timeline. Let's go, you know, you started your first in 2005. Let's just do through the seven summits, but then, you know, okay, interrupted, yeah, of yeah. course, by That's your XOPS yeah. campaigns. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's do that. So, okay. so 2005 was the first one. So that was the first one, Ulbris, and that I just did by myself. And I, uh, well, I actually got some some mates who wanted to go and climb it, uh, and uh, yeah, I just said, "Well, I'm going to come with you guys, and uh, I'll fly off it." And yeah, that's it was pretty straightforward, nice, easy climb, nothing. But Russia, I really loved Russia. It was a fantastic country. Yeah. The people are just so they're very much like South Africans. Actually, I think they've the country's been through a big turmoil in terms of their change, and yeah, and so have we. And we sort of, I, I found I gelled with them very, very. Very well. Uh, it was, yeah, we had uh, great parties. It was it was really fantastic. Huh? Even though we couldn't speak uh, a word of each other's languages, it was still good. Uh, right. And, Bound uh, by vodka. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, <laughs> they definitely can drink. That's one thing. Wow. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's it seems like places that are dark a lot of the year, uh, the, the booze tends to help. <laughs> <laughs> I'd agree with that, but the Russians, I do. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I really enjoyed them, so I don't know why they're fighting this bloody mm. war. But anyway, that's Putin's problem. But yeah, lovely, mm. lovely people. Um, and then uh, that was two thousand five, and then two thousand seven, I went and uh, did actually two thousand six. I went and did no. Wait, let me start this again. No, I started two thousand three. I went and did ACK with my wife, and I wanted ah. to fly off and. Uh, that uh, we we climbed it, uh, but we got up very late, and she wasn't going to paraglide. She didn't go. To go she didn't want to go tandem with me, and mm. uh, I had my own little rig, uh, my little uh, Montana that I was a gradient pilot in those days. So I had a, a Montana that uh, Andre had made for me, and uh, we we're up there at like I think half past seven, eight o'clock at night. The sun goes down around about half past nine, and I didn't want to let my wife walk down by herself. Uh, so. Actually, in her story, her version is she would have put a, the pickaxe in my head if I had, but uh, I had, <laughs> had left her there. So, so anyway, I, w I walked back down with her, and, and we got back to camp sort of at eleven. We did the the Polish direct, which is a bit of an ice climb at the top, so we didn't do the normal route, and then we went down mm. the normal route. Um, so that was the first time I went to try and fly off it, and then two thousand five, I did Ilbris, and then. 2007, I went back to do Aconcagia with a friend of mine, Guy Pittman. And uh, he had just learned how to fly. I think it was his, right about his 20th flight. And uh, 
so he was he was just saying, Pierre, I'm in your hands. You just tell me if <laughs> when to run, when to not do, what to do. And I said, okay, that's yeah, cool. It uh, should be fine if the weather. As I found generally, it's the weather. If you can, you want to climb a mountain in good weather, and if you get on top uh, and it's all good, the weather generally is going to stay stay fine. And it's been like that pretty much with all my my flights off, off the big mountains. Uh, hmm. You generally summit in good weather, and you're going to have good flying weather then as well. Um, unless you're pushing pushing the boat out and going up in terrible weather but uh um so we uh we got up top uh, and there was zero wind and we got up there quite early uh we did the normal route and i think we we're up top at like 12 o'clock uh, one o'clock in the day and uh but there was no wind on top there was absolutely no wind and i must have tried 30 times uh, to to run off and I, you just can't run fast enough you need skis or something you know to to be able to oh wow the air's so thin it's so thin and it's big on top there it's like the size of a rugby field you know so you've got plenty of running space and but we just couldn't get it it's not technical this is a this is a class zero launch it's not hard yeah well you're running off a cliff but you're just running on a a big yeah it's just flat and you just run off the edge yeah Uh, okay so it's yeah um so yeah, it, it, uh, guy tried about probably fifteen times, and he he said that's it. I'm buggered. You know, we didn't have oxygen or anything like that. We just acclimatized, and he said he's walking down. So I said, cool. I'm gonna carry on until sunset, and then I'm gonna walk down if I don't get off. And I must have tried forty times or so. And eventually, oh my god! Eventually, the sun. I mean, you, you you're so buggered after running twenty meters that you just yeah you, know, you have to rest for like half an hour, then you try again and rest. And uh, <laughs> at at sunset, the the sort of uh, must be the east, sorry, the west face, the west face, yeah, yeah. Uh, was sort of heating up and just a little puff of air was coming up the, the cliff face. And I just put a streamer out on the cliff and as I saw it moving, I just ran and that little puff of air just caught the glider nicely. You know, so as I got to the edge, she felt, you know, nice and solid and not like I was going to have to jump off and deal with the rag. Uh, and uh, so she didn't lift me off. I saw it was quite a dive, yeah. Uh, she really did dive, you know, right into it. Um, Mm. And uh, yeah, so that's how. And then I went and landed back at our base, ca- at least a high camp at six thousand meters, uh, and beat beat guy down. Actually, he was still walking down. So uh, <laughs> did so you have? And you had enough light you could see. Yes, yeah. So I, I sort of took off probably at I guess it must have been about half past seven, and the sun goes down at about nine. So yeah. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. enough time. Yeah. Well, no, what I actually, time flew, I actually flew that? around. It was nice. I flew around, and I could I stayed up for about twenty minutes or so. Yeah. Didn't get what time of year though. was that? Uh, that was December. I remember we had Christmas up top there. So, it, yeah, it must have been 28th. Uh, it was just after December. God, there wasn't more. I, I don't Why wasn't there more? I would think it'd be rowdy and thermal up, thermally up there yeah, in the middle that, of the day. Yeah, it was strange. It was very, very nice and calm. Uh, the next day, though, wow. we, then, uh, we then radioed down to a um, – because we were doing everything by ourselves. We weren't doing it through a company. And we radioed down and said, how much for you guys to come and collect all our gear? And they said, whatever, it was $1,000 or something. So he said, cool, we're going to leave it over here. Mark, we told them we were going to leave it. And uh, they came and collected the gear. And Guy and I then flew off from 6,000 meters. And uh, I remember this is Guy's like 20th or 25th flight. And we took off and we flew over, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the valley there now. Anyway, we flew up, flew off, and we just hit this beautiful thermal going up. Nice and huge. I mean, it was huge thermal. So for a beginner, it was just so easy. He just had to do gentle circles, no tight cores, anything like that. 
and uh, it took us back up to 6,000, sorry, 7,600 and something meters, right above the, we were right above Aconcagua, I mean, it was, it was beautiful, it was unbelievable, yeah. Um, so I think that was the first time someone had actually ever flown above Aconcagua. Um, wow. And then we flew Amazing. around and uh, we told the guys we'd come collect our gear at base camp, but we should have told them we'd collect it out, you know, in the, in, back at the, at, uh, on the road at the hotel because we could have flown all the way back, you know, like, like Anton did from wow. the pass. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but it was beautiful. I mean, it was unbelievable um, and bloody cold. But uh, yeah, and then we went and after sort of flying around for an hour, eventually we were freezing and we went and landed at base camp. But uh, yeah, it was wicked. Uh, now that must have been that must one of the most memorable flights of my seven summits. Just that, uh, and doing it with someone, yeah. uh, a good mate of mine who had just learned how to fly. I mean, it really it was unbelievable. Yeah, and really fantastic. That was two thousand seven. You said two thousand seven, if my memory serves me correct. Yeah. yeah. All right. Wow, that was yeah, special. Yeah. Amazing. Very very nice. And luckily okay, we, were, so we take... were climatized, so it was you know we didn't have to worry about oxygen and all that sort of stuff, which was great. Yeah. 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 Okay, so you've and ticked then, off three, right? So we there, took it back in Kagya. Um, I thought yeah. we quickly went back and flown off Akam Kagya. So 2007, 2008, uh, I did nothing. 2009, I decided to try uh, Red Bull X-Alps. Mm -hmm. So that then sort of, I said, okay, let me, instead of going to go and do a mountain, let me go and do an X-Alps. It cost me, I think the first one cost me probably 60,000 Rand, which is roughly three and a half thousand dollars in today's mm. terms um yep. and uh, so i thought okay let me save up for that and go and do that it just sounds like i just loved the adventure and i've, I've been watching because i think it started in 2003 yeah the first one if i remember correctly yep. so i, I sort yep. of watched it twice and thought okay now i'm gonna go and do this, this enter this and, and see what's yeah just apply and see if they'll accept me so so they did and uh yeah, that was great fun. Uh, then, uh, so, so began sort of six years of doing X-Alps. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. So, the, so the, you know, what I've asked the others with this, and I'd love to do the same with you, is, you know, so rewind back to 2009. I think that was the one. So that was Kriegel's first first race. Kriegel's first one, yeah. yeah. Toma, I think, was second, and Hansa was third, I believe. It was, as I remember, that was a pretty bad weather year, wasn't it? Um. Yeah, hell, every race I've done has always been bad weather. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember 2011 was shockingly bad, but I think I'm pretty sure 2009 was pretty tough. Uh, yeah, I, I, I bailed. Well, I didn't bail early. I, I got eliminated early. I, I ended up uh, uh, breaking my foot um, and having a bad, uh, basically I crashed into the mountain. And, and uh, I'll tell you about that now anyway. But yeah, so that was 2009. I went and uh, decided to do, sorry, 2000. Yeah, nine was my first mm. X-Alps. And for me, it was just, uh, you know what the X-Alps is, a huge adventure. And in those days, we didn't have the cell phones where, I don't think we, they, did they have Google then, uh, Google Maps on cell phones? And I can't remember because we, I, I've still got them. I've got this box of maps across the Alps, one in 50,000, that would track ourselves and work out how to go. And coming from some South Africa, not knowing the Alps very well. You know, I've, I've been to climb the mountain here or there, but I didn't know the valley systems. And I've flown... Uh, some competitions there, but I didn't, you know, the valley systems are, you have to live in the Alps, I think, for a good five, six years and fly there to get to know those, those valleys well and how everything works. So for us and uh, my friend James, uh, who's braid, who was uh, the, the gradient uh, um, person in South Africa, 
they're great in dealer here. He put me in contact with uh, Andre, and Andre helped out with gliders and whatnot, and uh, uh, he was fantastic that way. Uh, and Tom was also a gradient pilot then, and uh, there are a couple of other gradient pilots as well. But uh, yeah, uh, that was a great adventure. It really, I think I got eliminated. Uh, I was probably the second or third to get eliminated. And I mm. basically, I was, where were we? We were flying around the Gross, yeah, the Gross Loch now, I think was a turn point, somewhere out down there. And I was yeah. thermaling, come over the pass, and we're thermaling on the, on the, the southerly side there going up. Uh, and I just, I fell out the back of the thermal, but I was very close to the, uh, to the terrain. And I basically came around, I just, uh, I'm not going to make it. And I just smacked straight into the, into this huge granite face. Uh, and, and it was a good, probably, I guess, uh, 45 to 50 degree angle. So, you know, I, and I ended up and I hit it hard and I sort of tumbled and luckily my glider got caught in some little bush. And then I was just lying there on this granite thinking, geez, that was stupid, but luckily nothing's broken. Everything seems okay. And then I look around and I say, geez, but where are my shoes? I couldn't find my <laughs> shoes. <laughs> both, both shoes were gone. And I was looking for them. I said, what the hell? And then I saw my foot was cut and bleeding quite badly. I thought, wow, you know, the adrenaline's there, so you kind of don't feel much. And uh, mm. I then found my shoes, both my tackies, my running shoes, were up around my knees. And my feet, Ooh. from hitting, hitting the granite, my feet had punched through the front of my shoes. And in, so, in so doing so, my, obviously the, uh, uh, the shoe, uh, the webbing or whatever of the shoe had cut into my one, my right foot, which hit the ground first, I think, took the hardest the front of it. I'd cut right down to the bone on my on my toes, so oh, my two my God. big toe and my toe next to it were right down to the bone, and, was, oh. and my shoes had been pushed right up onto my knees. It was quite <laughs> it was quite weird, but uh, so I just oh, radio I, I radioed James uh, and I said, James, call the doctor. I'm gonna take off again and fly as far as I can before this adrenaline runs out, and I won't be able to walk. Uh, so I put my uh, my shoes back on, took duck, yeah, some duct tape and wrapped them on so they wouldn't come because the front of them was totally, they were just flapping open. And uh, yeah, then moved across off onto, onto sort of 100 meters down onto sort of more uh, where the grass was a little bit flat or the snow, should I say, and uh, relaunched and uh, just flew straight down the valley as far as I could. And by the time I got there, James had organized, like the team doctor was there from, uh, from Red Bull and he stitched my toes up and uh, he gave me an injection uh, that just numbed my legs from the knee down. So I couldn't feel my legs oh. from the knee down. I thought, okay, this is okay. I can carry on. So, uh, <laughs> so I carried on for another day or two and he said it would wear off. I think, I think he said it would wear off in about 10 hours time. And then he's not giving me another one. So I basically started, <laughs> started running again because I couldn't feel anything. And uh, Oh, God, dude. And uh, yeah, it was uh, eventually, obviously the pain came back sort of the next day and then I carried on limping around for another about half a day and then I just said, no, this is just too sore. And, uh, oh. I, and I basically called it. But uh, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, that was a good adventure. That was my first sort of taste of Red Bull. And that, I think I was in probably day three then or day two. I can't remember. I think it must have been day two at the Gross. Oh, so it was pretty early on. Yeah, yeah, it was really early on. So I lasted to day three oh. or day four and then I just said, no, <laughs> that's it. I'm, I'm out and I basically... I actually waited for another guy to come past me before I declared my 
Yeah, yeah, as you should. Yeah, yeah, as yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah. So. It's, it's the the unwritten rule. <laughs> uh, the the honor that, that, rule. I, I loved it, and I thought that's it. I'm coming back to the next one. So, yeah. Wicked, cool. So, so that wasn't enough to put you off crashing into the mountain. No, <laughs> wrapping no, your no. shoes around your knees. This <laughs> <laughs> is proper South African. That's I love it. it. Okay, so did you do any seven summits between nine and eleven? Yeah, I mean two thousand and. Did I say, yeah, 10, I think it was, we did the Killy. We got permission to do Killy. It was either 2010 or 2011. No, it must have been 2010, September, um, that I got permission to to go and do it. And we put a big team together. There was about 10 of us that were going to fly off, um, off Killy. And uh, we decided to go in September, October is when the sort of uh, the doldrums hit that part of the world in, mm. yeah, from a sailing point of view. And hopefully we've, we said hopefully it'll transfer onto land as well, and there won't be too much wind because a lot of people have a lot of bad wind up at Kili when they they're trying to take off. Mm. Um, that big Australian crowd was trying to do it at the same time, but they were trying to fly off like a hundred people at a time. Can't remember the guy's name. Uh, yeah, they weren't very successful. Uh, Babu, I think, went with them and flew off in two thousand and must have been thirteen or no, he flew off Everest in two thousand thirteen. Uh, anyway, but, but Babu did it after about a year or two after after we had done it, uh, and he did it in the howling wind. Uh, uh, yeah, it's very very risky. Anyway, uh, so we did that, and uh, out of the ten of us or eleven of us that were going to fly, only three of us managed to fly off. So the wind wasn't uh, nice and gentle like we'd hoped. It was actually coming mm. over the back, so coming from the crater, over the back at about probably five to ten k's an hour. Uh, and to try and do it, yeah. And we thought maybe we should launch into the crater and hopefully get a little thermal and go up and over. So we waited around to do that. And eventually uh, the sun started warming up uh, the east side and uh, nice strong thermals were coming through uh, at a good sort of five, six, six k's a meter a second. A really nice big gust. So we thought, well, let's just take off into one of these gusts and to push the... The, the tailwind out the way and we'll take off and that's exactly what we did but uh, there are three of us who were experienced the others were all only been flying for maybe three or four years at that stage and they just said not a chance it's too high. Do this. It just, uh, the risk seemed too too high um hmm. but it, uh, it was beautiful so i took off in a tandem uh, i had a friend of mine who's busy 2010 uh, i decided to try and do the seven summits uh, with a friend of mine marianne schwankart She's a famous South African climber, and she's a photographer and and uh, videographer and everything. So I said, "Well, you come along. We'll go tandem, and you can film everything, and we can make a little movie at the end of the day." You know. Mm. Uh, so she's she's done a couple of them with me, uh, except uh, uh, Everest. She hasn't didn't because it's just too expensive for both of us to go, um, and she won't come and do Vincent. That's also that's more expensive than Everest, by the way. So. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I've got a lot of footage that uh, eventually, when I get the time, we're going to go through it and uh, edit it ourselves sometime. But yeah. So anyway, so we, yeah, that was the Killy. And then uh, in 2011, the next Exalps came up. And obviously, you start training. You know, the year before, you start uh, in uh, November, you start yeah. your training. I'm sure you know how it all works. And uh, yeah. yeah. And you train like hell and get fit. And uh, yeah. And 2011 mm. was, was a good year. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say just to just to remind the folks what the the course uh, two thousand eleven was 
I believe Tomo was second, right? In that one? Yeah. Was that? Yeah. Yeah. So he kind of ran man. the whole yeah, way. He yeah, he, ran, he can run that man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't outrun that man. Um, yeah, and, and really bad weather. And, and I mean, we always say, "Yeah, it's really bad weather." But that, but 2011 was was shocking. Was, I think that was yeah, Paul Huchelbauer's first. He did quite well. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a it was a good year to be really fast on the ground. Yeah, so I it was a good year. It was turning out to be probably my would have been my best year. And I, I did the first couple of days. Uh, with uh, with Hansa, I think four or five days I was with him, and we we're we we're cruising along nicely. We were sort of in you know, between fourth and seventh place, and, and we we're a nice pair flying together when we did fly and uh, going through the night, etc. But we got sick. We ate something in a, in one of the, the high altitude little. I think we got there just before the bell went at eleven o'clock. Oh yes, in two thousand and nine, we had tw- that was the last twenty four hour nonstop one. Mm. My, yeah. In 2011, they introduced, you had to stop for four hours. I think it's longer yeah. now. I think it's six hours now or five hours. I can't remember. Uh, but we just made yeah, it. Now the they have this last one. They have that adjusting rest. Now it's the long, you have a, I think it's maybe seven hours, but it's, oh, wow. uh, okay. but you can, you can decide when you want to take it. It's quite, oh, okay. it's, it's oh, quite okay. an interesting, okay. it's something yeah. Kriegel's been pushing for, for a long time. Cause he's really felt yeah. like the lack of sleep is super dangerous. So it's, yeah, uh, no, 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 it, it, it is it's quite cool. Two, how it worked. 2011, I fell asleep thermally. Up mm. and yeah, as we took off at tra- anyway, let me go back. We got we ate something at we just got into the hut at 11 o'clock, and the lady had some soup left, uh, the dregs of the, the bowl kind of thing. And we she gave us that and we ate that. Next morning, we both took off again and carried on. Uh, onto I think uh, the Tresa Mare was the turn point, um, mm. marmal- in, in uh, not marmalada in uh, in the Dolomites. Dolomites there. Yeah, yeah, so we we got there and uh. I started feeling sick during the day, and I think Honza, we separated in a flight, and I only saw him again at the turn point, actually, and he was sweating. I, I've never, I just remember he was just like this, he was drenched, and it wasn't from the walk up, it was just, he was just dying, and I thought, hey, my stomach, oh. and I've already thrown up once in the morning. I wonder if we picked up the same thing. Uh, anyway, he went and got the turn point and went off to fly somewhere. I still was going to the turn point, because I had stopped and had something to eat. Uh, but I had a really queasy stomach and yeah, I took off and clearly my mind wasn't with it because I hadn't, my speed bar wasn't done up and I hadn't done my pod properly. So it was one of those, oh God, anyway, let me just get a thermal and go up and try and fly as far as I can. And I was up above the actual, tre- tre- the three tresemers themselves and going up really nicely, sort of getting to three, three and a half going, carrying on. And the next minute I woke up. I don't remember like 15 minutes of it. And I'd actually fallen asleep and my glider had just gone in whatever direction I'd fallen asleep in. And, and it was quite scary. You suddenly, shit. Okay. I don't think, and then you, know, you think, Dude, like, wake not... up, wake up. You're just punching yourself in the face. Come on. Yeah. And uh, then I realized, yeah, so it's not because of lack of sleep, but I must obviously be quite sick. Uh, and then I landed and then it hit me after I landed, uh, it hit me like a, the doctor came, I then I was throwing up and shitting myself and the doctor came and said, no, you push yourself too hard because the day before we had done like 100 Ks on foot and uh, and I said, no, it's definitely not. Yeah. And, uh, something's and, wrong. Yeah, you know, something's wrong. I discovered Honza had exactly the same thing. We obviously had a stomach. <sighs> we had a food poisoning and... Uh, yeah. Ah, brutal. And uh, it is for me, it, it took me probably three days to recover and I remember I, just, I sat in a... I found a hut somewhere and we just sat, I, just, I couldn't move. 
I literally couldn't move for about two and a half days. And you just watch guys come past you, walking past. And I just felt, sat there fantasy, you know, going from like six to seven, eight. Now I eventually end up at 21, whatever it was. Uh, and I managed to hold on to that sort of, I couldn't catch up after that. So that mm. was probably my, my best year in terms of, I was in the best shape, Red Bull shape that, uh, that I had been. You know. and yeah, it was, all, it, was all, yeah. it was all going pretty good until you ate the, until round, I ate the yeah, it yeah. But anyway, that's part of the game, hey? but it was good. It was good. Yeah. Um, that's been a part of Hans's game a couple of times, you know, his, his, I think 2009 was his no, 2007 was his first, but 2009 was sick before the start. You know, he was yes, he yeah. was uh, he was all sick heading up to the the uh, Dockstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. But he, he recovered. I think within a day and a half, he was back again. Hey, running. I mean, it took me like three, yeah, two and a half, three days <sighs> to recover. It was uh, it was brutal. Anyway, oh, it's the but, worst. Uh, but that was great. And then uh, I decided, okay, let me give it one more go in 2013. And uh, did I do another summit between that? No, I didn't. I then, uh, yeah, I did XOPS again. Um, and in those days, we only had one report. I think 2013 was the time when you allowed two two helpers. Mm. Uh, the other ones, you only allowed one. And shame, they worked like dogs. As you know, you've now sort of seeing what happens in the background <laughs> yes oh my god it's a big job <laughs> no it's a huge job yeah. i take my hat off to any seconds yeah oh, i see i see now you're allowed like three or four so it's, it's quite a yeah it must be a bit, bit you can have as many as you want no really wow okay so yeah no you can yeah. have as many as you want i mean some of the teams are you know four vehicles these days and stuff it's sure. it's, it's yeah. pretty wild and, and it's really interesting you know the 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 strategies really interesting you know kriegel's never had a big team uh you know he he just feels he he always just had thomas and that was it yeah, and then they yeah. had kind of you know they had their weather guy back in switzerland and they I mean, they yes. had other people on the team but the actual on the road team was him and thomas most for the most part yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it got to the point i can't remember when they when he switched this i don't know 2017 or 19 or something where he just thought okay it's just now it's so advanced it's so fast that you know he needed somebody else yeah, you know? yeah so they're yeah. i think their team this year was bigger than it had ever been but yeah. it was it's still compared to some of the others are is still quite small yeah. because it's just it's more logistics isn't it it's just more to manage it is, more, yeah i mean 2000 more things to go wrong in a sense yeah. i i had the same guy and i could only afford to, i paid for my second each time um so James, again, I couldn't afford another second. So I said, well, James, you buy yourself again. <laughs> so he, and he was great. I mean, it's, yeah, it is, uh, it is. A you had the same love. supporter. I, I read in Wikipedia this morning that, you know, the kind of the synopsis of all the races, you had him all three, right? Yeah, all three. Yeah. Just he, he, he knew yeah. what, because you know, Red Bull, you have to make those little movies and you have to do this and that. And if you don't, you get penalized. So James was very good at doing all that stuff. He was, he kept it nice and chick, chick, chick. Yeah, um, and then I just made all the sort of other decisions, and yeah, he'd try and give me weather when he could, and but I was just flailing in the dark. I was never very good at it, but uh, it was good fun. I just enjoyed the adventure. It was a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So were you were you did did you go into each one with a different goal? What was your what was your kind of hope? What was it, was it more just uh, hey, I'm just going for the adventure? It was. Basically, for the adventure, and the first time I did it, I said I just didn't want to get eliminated, but I did because I had the, the crash. So that was my first goal. The second time, I wanted to try and be in the top 15. Mm. Uh, the second and third time, I just wanted to be in the top 15. I didn't, uh, I mean, it would be lovely to make, 
you know, goal. Uh, but I just wasn't in that league of flying. I just uh, didn't have those skills and, and the knowledge of the Alps that you actually need. You need to go mm. there for a couple of seasons and actually just learn those valleys backwards. Eh? And, and learn yeah. how those, those valley winds coming from South Africa, those valley winds were just so confusing to me. <laughs> it just blew yeah. my mind. Yeah, I'm to, yeah. It's a very, very complicated terrain, isn't it? I no, mean, I no, remember uh, Nate, Nate has a great story. You know, he showed up in 2007 to do it and his, you know, his wife was a supporter and his Ripley, who was two years old, his, his first daughter was there and his dad and Ripley hated his dad because his dad was a chain smoker. And it's the funniest story ever that, yeah. you know, that she, she would call the Red Bull headquarters every day to find out where he was, you know, <laughs> he, he would, he would, he would, he would call, he called her one day and Hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hungry. Can I get some food? Nate, we're at the pool, you know, <laughs> just, just so funny back in those days. But I, he said when he, when he showed up, uh, Ulrich or somebody, I can't remember who it was, you know, with the organization, you know, basically just said, Hey, you know, how are you, you know, welcome to the Red Bull X Alps. We're happy to have you here. You're from Idaho. You have no chance in this race. You have, you have <laughs> yeah. zero hope because you don't know the Alps, you know, I mean, yeah, it was, yeah. he wasn't being mean. It was just a fact. No, yeah, it, it is, just, it is a fact. A, you, you have to know the Alps. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you have to spend a lot of time over there, but it was, uh, so 2013, what was, how was I, now, as I remember, uh, the weather was really good in 2013 you know the, until this year that was the record for it was for i actually, I actually managed to fly over 100 k's on one of the days so for me that was woo, i've actually you know I've yeah. actually flown really something good. in the in the x now um i didn't have uh this gradient uh it wasn't the best glider they had made that year um but what can you say yeah uh but it was i'm not going to blame it on the glider because i still wasn't a, a top flyer like everyone else but uh, yeah, they, um, uh, I was hoping to, again, be in the top 15, um, but I stuffed up the, the first uh, turn point going out to, uh, uh, what is the first turn point then? After Geisberg. The, the, the oh, the Geisberg. No, no, Geisberg and then Duckstein. There I, yep. I, I went, we got caught in a bit of rain and uh, the other guys just bombed off down the valley and I decided to land on top. This is the valley before um, the Duckstein itself. Yeah, you sort yep. of go over a pass and then you go down. I can't remember the name of the valley, and then you're onto the lake near, and you go up the back and up that uh, Via Ferrata. Yep. Um, yep. And I decided to land on top there and wait out the rain. For some reason, that was a stupid mistake. Everyone else just bolted off, and I think they were out of the rain shower within like a K, and they carried on flying. And I was just stuck in this bloody rain cloud for a good couple of hours, and eventually had to walk off, and uh, it was a nightmare. So I ended up mm. like at the back from from that yeah that first uh, that first turn point, um, but I managed to catch up. I think I ended up being twentieth if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, never never had to, as you said, it was good flying. Then the guys just yeah, when it's good flying, they just fly. Eh? Um, smoked it, yeah. They just smoked it, yeah. But it was great, yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I wish I could go back again. But my knees started giving problems, so I decided no, let's rather mm. rather. Not and I have actually I had now I had a subsequently had in two thousand and when was it twenty yeah I had my knees replaced no twenty one yeah really yeah you, in, you in had a, both knees replaced yeah both knees replaced I, I decided to do that before I went to Everest because I decided to go to Everest I needed a year and a half to recover for my knees so because I couldn't huh. I got so they got so bad I was like holding onto a rail trying to walk downstairs and I thought wow this is now getting bad I need to do something about it when you have to hold on to at the shopping center, you know, you feel like it looked like an eight year old. Yeah. 
Was that I, was that a result of the crash, or was that just use and abuse over the years? Use and abuse over the years. Um, I've yeah. been running competitively since I was about ten years old, uh, mm. and obviously, obviously, I've had a you, know, you hear lots of other people have been running since then, and the knees are fine. But obviously, I had a my knees were just always going to go that way for whatever design I am, um, and yeah. It's quite interesting, you know, in, in my, my first was, was 2015 and, you know, the, the, what everybody said was, was pretty true. You really only Toma ran, you know, you, you didn't, you, it was helpful to be able to run out of, out of Mozart Plus up to, up, up to the Geisberg. And there, there were places where you wanted some speed, but for the most part, you just had to be able to move fast all day and, and, yeah, and especially I, I go up mountains yeah, all fast. Yeah. You didn't have to, you didn't really have to run, but as you know, between 15 and my last one, which was, which was 21. And then this mm. year reporting on it and watching, you know, the, the, you know, Benoit, and there, there are a lot of guys that run a lot. Yeah. I, mean, no, just, I ran a lot. I mean, running. Did I you looking wow. at my stats, uh, when Kriegler finished and I only got like halfway, um, I've sort of run 700 Ks and flown like 300. <laughs> and, and Kriegel's the opposite way around. He's flown, you know, yeah, 700 yeah. and he's only run like 150 or walked 150. And just, yeah, wow. Yeah. It's amazing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I did a hell of a lot of running. I remember every time I got down to the valley, I'd be, if it was on a road or a, a decent path, or that, in Switzerland, the paths and, and Europe, the paths are good generally. You, you can run and I just jog along at six and a half minutes a case. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'd, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And yeah, I think that's, that's I, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I love that suffer fest of it. I'm sort of that sort of, my mind's like it. I enjoy the suffer. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. It's good. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's a nice, nice place to be, isn't it? Yeah. Mentally. It's, it's fantastic. There's, there's only one way to get there and the X Alps will get you there. For sure. <laughs> That's um, true. Yeah. So after 13, where are we in the ticking off the, the big peaks? Um, so then we had done, so I'd done Ulbrus, uh Sorry, I'd done Akonkagia. I'd done Ulbrus first, then I'd done Akonkagia, then I'd done Kili. And then I decided to go back to Ulbrus uh, with my uh, my tandem friend, Marianne. So we went back to Russia, had great parties again, and climbed the mountain and flew off. Uh, great. And then she videoed it this time, because the first time, all I had was some happy snaps of me flying. Um, nothing much. So that was great. So that was successful. Um, and then we went uh, to go and do Aconcagio again next for her to, to just experience that. So I've done Aconcagio three times. Wow. Um, uh, but the time, this time when we got on top, it, it, like it was a typical act. It just didn't, it was just howling from, from like yeah, five in the morning. It just blew right the way through, sort of at 30, 40 k's an hour. Mm -hmm. So we, we just couldn't get off. Uh, and we then went down to our high camp at 6,000. And the next day we flew from there down to base camp. So, mm -hmm. so she did get a flight off of it. Yeah. So that was 2014, I think. It was the year. No, it was it was two thousand thirteen. It was December two thousand and twelve. Was Aconcagua, yeah. Because then I had I did Exalts in two thousand thirteen, yeah. And then the next mountain we did was uh, Denali in two thousand fifteen. I went and tried that. I, I wrote to the parks. 
I started about a year and a half or two years. I started writing to them saying, will you let me go? This is my name. Da, 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 da. And I must have written to them three or four times and always just got an answer. Not a chance, not a chance. And then a really? new ranger would come there, try him. I spoke to Andy about it. And Andy said, no, this ranger, I know him. He's, he's a good guy. He'll actually, he'll let you go, I'm sure. But obviously they got their rules there and their bosses hired mm. up. They have to stick to you and he couldn't. And uh, uh, so it went. So we thought, uh, let's go there and just sneak up and fly off. And uh, when I got there, obviously, because I'd written them, written to them, they knew I was obviously on a list there. Watch out for this guy. He's going to try and come parachute yeah. off. Right. And as we walked in the door, they just, <laughs> that's it. And they had a lawyer's letter prepared. You had to sign it. And yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, so it was, uh, anyway. But it was beautiful. I really, but you really enjoyed it. Yeah, we summited. Yeah. yeah, we did it in, I think, yeah. eight days or seven days. It was very really quick. Uh, yeah, and wow. pulled, pulled all our own gear up, you know, put it on the sleds and had that whole walk in and the whole, yeah, it was really, I really, really enjoyed it. It was really fantastic. Alaska's uh, amazing. Uh, really out there, yeah. I mean, it is a, an out there mountain. If you don't, if you aren't doing it with a, you know, with a, a, a guided group, we just went, I just took two mates of mine and we went off and we did it. And it was really a great adventure. And for being South African and not big with snow, you know, it was really, a, it was really mm. exciting, yeah. Yeah. crossing all those crevasses and looking for them and yeah, roping up and all that stuff. It was, it was fantastic. Um, and bloody cold, actually. That mountain was cold, if I remember. Yeah. It was a cold only, mountain. I was, I was surprised because you said you were up on top and you were in a T-shirt and you had quite a nice yeah, day, but, but getting, you know, they always talk about point, that. Getting to that yeah. point, I think we, had, we must have had minus 25 on some days. It was bloody cold. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. everybody always talks about that Denali is, you know, depending on – luck of when you do it it can be often can be yeah. the hardest just because it's so cold and so but i remember they told us a big system was coming in so that and that's why we pushed it to do it and i think we did it in eight days uh we just thought no let's just get up this thing before you know we get caught here for for like a week uh but i remember that, lucky on summer day that must have been just before the storm because we, we then we summited and we then walked out the whole way we picked up our stuff and we walked right out to uh to where the airstrip is that was a long day mm. wow uh, yeah that's a long day yeah um yeah and then we luckily we they said okay that's it no more flights coming in the next day because the storm's coming and luckily we persuaded the lady there i can't remember, she was so nice we, we saw a tourist guy coming past and we said please radio him see how many tourists he's got in his plane and there were two and we, we said come land we'll give you tea and stuff and your tourists can run around the glacier so the pilot was all keen he related to them and they said cool they landed and then we jumped in the plane and flew out of them and that's it. And nice. then it was snowed in. I think we came in and they couldn't do anything for like a week or, or 10 days. So it was, yeah, <laughs> it was great fun. Well, the yeah. weather's rowdy up there. It is, yeah. I mean, you're, yeah. you're so close to the ocean that it's just, you know, it's that maritime air and yeah, God, it's, it can be so cold yeah. and yeah. vicious. And really but vicious I mean, it's a place, place I definitely want to go back so. again sometime to actually yeah. do some nice, some nice climbing there. There's just some beautiful, beautiful climbing. And there's good there. flying too. Yeah. And there's good flying. Some, yes. Yeah. Really yeah. good flying. Um, cool. Okay, so that's 2015. Yeah. Uh, then I looked at doing X-Alps again, but I thought, no, my knees are just, yeah, I'm just going to make them worse. Um, and then some other South African guys uh, tried X-Alps. I see they've only done it, uh, who is it now? I um, can't remember his name. Kortzer was his surname. I just can't think of his first name now. I should know it. Anyway, uh, so they he did it, and then another guy from Cape Town did it. Um, in 2018, I think that's the last South African that, 
that has has has, uh, has tried, or, or maybe others have actually gone on and uh, have just haven't been accepted. I'm not sure. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. but I, I find that's yeah. quite disappointing with with Excel, that they don't allow more of the outliners. I know it's a race for them, and it's also a marketing thing, so that's nice to have. But they should try and make it a bit more inclusive in terms of having some more. You know, even though the guys are aren't going to win or aren't going to come there, just just the adventure and getting the you know that spirit with all the other guys because it's for them it's even a bigger adventure i mean it's so out there for if you don't know the elves it's it's really is uh yeah so they should allow i think uh, some more guys from one or two countries in there instead of having like four people from switzerland or four people from mm. you know the, the european countries let a couple more in from from out, outliners uh, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. there's, it's a hard thing, isn't it? Because you, you've got so much. I mean, the, the French could have ten easily, yeah, easy, you know, easy, in terms yeah. of in Swiss, terms of ability, and, yeah, or all yeah. of them. You know, they could all be yeah. French. There's, there's yeah. so, there's so many really good athletes. I, I've never, they, they at least have never told me. I have no idea how many people apply for the X Alps. It, it's, yeah, yeah. You know, I, have, I don't know, they've never allowed behind the veil there, and I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of the decision is just, you know, is this person going to have does they have do they have the ability to not get hurt yeah you know, so, i'm sure yeah. they're looking at it as just yeah. a but yeah no it's it, it's all fascinating i mean, I mean yeah. it's a, and then um yeah i mean i must come and do your race it's the red rocks race hey yeah I mean, i've, I've looked at that it, a couple yeah. of times I'd, I'd, I'd love to actually come over and do that sometime so before i get to it's wicked it's a it's an incredible venue it's really 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 neat it's spectacular you know the yeah the the fall colors that time of year it's truly psychedelic we use that word all the time but it yeah, really yeah. is and it's uh it's yeah it's a it's a pretty neat area you know it has none of the accoutrements that the alps does you know there's no huts there's no trails there's you know it's it's it but it but it works you know you can top land and there's launches you know that's tangly and messy okay. it'd be yeah, more yeah. south africa you know and it's it but it's the the terrain is really neat yeah it's, yeah it's pretty special you know the europeans I, that have come over and they've they've had a really good time yeah yeah because i um you know i did no i never raced with nick, nick and x alps because i yeah my last one's 2013 nick then started with you i think in 2015 yeah, yeah we both yeah. started together yeah because he came over to south africa i had a little race called uh, the exberg challenge yeah in the, in, in the drakensberg and it was sort of like a Three hundred or four hundred k k race down the down the, the escarpment, um, and I actually I started that for training in two thousand. We must have had the first one in two thousand and no, it was my last race, two thousand and thirteen. So training for that race, I thought, oh, let me just put something together, and I invited like ten friends. Some of them, some of them ran, and some of them were on bikes, on mountain bikes. I said, okay, I'll race you from this point to three hundred and fifty k's. I think it was or four hundred k's down the range. And uh, uh, I invited some other paragliding friends that that uh, were into hike and flies. There are not many in South Africa, only a handful of us that enjoyed. Um, and that's how our little Exberg thing started. Uh, and it's it's still going, start... isn't it? No, no, I've, I, I do it now, no, but in, informally. Uh, I just oh, okay. It was a labor of love, you know. It's, it's I'm sure you know it's yeah. a lot of work to put these things together. A lot of work. And we did oh, it for God. eight years, and then I decided no, it's just this is a lot of work and. Uh, let me and when people are paying you, you then got yeah, you know, you're responsible. If someone yeah, you, know, you you you're liable, put it that way. When people start paying for 
for an event in South Africa anyway, you are liable if something goes wrong badly and you can be seen mm. to have been uh, uh, negligent. So I just thought, no, the risk is just too high. Just now someone is going to kill themselves and then maybe I have forgotten to tick some box and I'm going to get sued. So I thought, okay, let me just yeah, do it for fun now. Yeah, that side of it makes me makes me really nervous yeah, yeah, I, yeah i remember when nick was on i've had him on a couple of times but he was he was very he was very complimentary about the expert he had really yeah i mean he was amazing so we i mean we raced all the way down and was nick just arrived in uh we met up a couple of times and and nick I, I came across him the one day i think we stopped at a hotel uh, sort of late evening and we ended up you know, having a burger together and then carrying on and sleeping somewhere in the bush but he was, uh, his feet were sore and Nick was just, that's it, I'm just walking barefoot now. And he just like goes feral. I mean, he just, <laughs> just walks along barefoot on this rough ground. It was, uh, yeah, no, it was an eye now. He really enjoyed it. I mean, he was, yeah. Uh, he actually yeah, stayed at that, he, so. he really is part animal. Yeah, he, is. <laughs> <laughs> he is amazing, isn't he? he he's uh, very comfortable in very uncomfortable situations. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. he's he, he he needs the least of any of us. You know, he's he's yeah. he'll be just and fine. I, I said, have you, what food have you got? Now I've just got this little bag of nuts for the whole day. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a little block of cheese. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything. That's yeah, amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, character. all all of us, we've got these big teams and vans and cookers and all this fancy stuff, and he's got a yeah. Subaru and his mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's yeah, pretty awesome. Amazing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you must ask him to tell you one day about his, I don't know if he ever has, about his night out in uh, in a herd a herdman's hut. Basically, we have, ah. right, if you're right on top of the escarpment in Lesotho, you just get these little hats uh, yeah. with the odd, odd herdman, herdman in it, and uh, he got invited into it. But you know, he tells it so well, it, it's hilarious. How funny. <laughs> it, uh, uh, yeah. Catch up with him on that. That's a, yeah. That sounds excellent. Uh, so was the then, next one... Let's go. Sorry. Go yeah, ahead. so then he, he then went on to... I remember I, I told him, you must go and do Excel. So maybe it was already in his mind to go and do it. And I said, you're going to be amazing if you go and do that race, and you're going to love it. And uh, the next yeah, year or 2015 it was, so two years later, he went and did it. It was, uh, yeah, it was so great seeing him doing it. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah he's, he's a big fan favorite for sure. All those yes, years, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 He, no, he, he stayed quite a battle yeah, together. Yeah, I've got a little house down there in the Berg, and he stayed there, I think, for a month and a half, just flying around and going down rivers he had that little blow up flat bottom canoe thing that you i don't know what they're called but yeah so he really enjoyed himself there yeah it was fantastic yeah cool, but, cool. Uh, yeah so then uh that was 2015 um we did what where was i now what, oh we had just done just Denali. Denali. yeah yeah so then we went on uh, uh i then had to go and do um the next sort of chi- I, was, I was going by expensive my my process of choosing the mountains was the cost of how much it cost to do them because I, I put a whole lot of money aside for Everest and uh, Vincent which and that was slowly you know, making its own babies and, and getting better and better but uh, I then save up uh, for the next sort of cheap mountain and that turned out to be Carsten's Pyramid so of the seven summits mm. you, you have a little bit of a it's either Carsten's Pyramid or Kosciuszko if I pronounce that correctly in Australia yeah. Yeah, so Kazi is just a little mound. I think it's two thousand. Yeah, I've been I've been up Kazi. That's you know, that's, there's not much to that. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, a, no. it's a paved road to the top, as I remember. So, so I looked at it, and uh, I then went and looked at Zeb and Claire, and they had, they hadn't done Karsten's pyramid. They'd only done Kostioski. So I thought, okay, I haven't done Denali, even I climbed it. 
but let me try and do castings. I got hold of uh, some guys who had done castings. They said, no, you had to go and do it through an agent because there's militia there and they're always fighting and you, they're fighting with the, the, the gold mine there and it's a bit of a, a thing to actually climb the mountain. Mm. Uh, and sometimes you have to get smuggled up through the mine or you have to get helicoptered in if they're fighting because you might get told to ransom if you go through the rainforests, which I wanted to do. I wanted to walk up through the rainforest and everything. Um, anyway, so... And I, where do you where where do you start? Is that Port Moresby, or where do you start in Papua New Guinea to do Karstens? Where where so would yeah, be at, the... at the at the basically the big town there. Um, okay, Moresby. It's got, yeah, it's, it's got the mining village there as well, and everything. All the, the expats stay there, and uh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so we were going to walk in from there. We got there, and we have to hang around a couple of days. And the guy was going back and forth and saying, "No, no, there's there's problems with the." Uh, with the insurgents and the other, the guys that uh, want to blow the mine up and uh, infighting and whatnot. So we, we said, okay, no, let's wait and see if it calms down and then we'll carry on walking. So he said, no problem. And uh, then he eventually came back and said, no, listen, we're going to have to chopper you in. Uh, maybe he just wanted the money and is bullshitting us. It's going to be an extra whatever, <laughs> $500, $600 each uh, because it's just too dangerous to go any other way. So it's okay, no, no problem. Yeah. A bit disappointing because we're really looking forward to the walk because it's beautiful rainforest here and uh, yeah. really amazing, amazing hike. Looking at the, the pictures, the videos I've seen. Anyway, so we uh, we chop it in, and that was a an eye opener of note. We get in there, and the guy, another pilot, climbs in with him. So there's two of them. And we then discover that the pilot that we're going with is now learning. So, <laughs> so we think, okay, you're going to what? You're going to put us down at like four thousand three hundred meters or four thousand four hundred meters. And you, you know, okay, I hope you've learned enough. Uh, you know, you've got enough hours under your belt. <laughs> and uh, we packed this thing full. They loaded up. They load this. This is a little, um, uh, what are those choppers? A little squirrel. Uh, mm. uh, alouette, which is now the squirrel, or whatever it's called now. So it's a powerful little chopper, but uh, they loaded up to the max. So on takeoff, this is down at sea level. It goes up and you can hear them talking to each other. And the guy comes and says, oh, it's a little bit heavy. Just put it down and they unload a couple of more tents or chairs, or whatever. Back it up. Okay, this should be okay. Mm. This is the instructor. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Off we go. Oh, and we get to, we get, and you go up the mine. You're going up these valleys, following the mine road all the way up. And eventually the mountain's off to your, to the south of you or to the sort of south, southwest or no, southeast. And uh, I mean, the, the mine is just, it must be one of the biggest mines in the world. It was just huge, but they're just like destroying that mountain, just digging into it and, and mining. Yeah. Really horrible to see. But, you know, we get up and uh, we see the mountain. Okay, now we have to go up this other little valleys uh, that leads up from the mine. And you start cruising and you see, you suddenly see this hill. And the guy says, okay, we have to get, uh, get enough speed so you can make it over the hill. And then literally 500 meters after that, this is... Uh, we land in the valley and he goes over there and the, the they then start speaking in in their language <laughs> and it's getting more and more rapid and more and more and the guy's obviously trying to crank this helicopter to its max and he he just goes over the hill by like a meter i mean i was sweating myself oh. and then he he picks up speed going down the other side thank god and we had like a so he had to go sort of fly up to four i guess it was four seven to get over and he drops down to back down to about four and a half four four where we're landing and he comes to hover it in and he says, okay, no, I, then the pilot then comes and speaks English to us and says, okay, no, look, we, we can't hover it in, guys. We're going to do a skid landing here. We're just going to slide it in because we're scared we're going to, 
you know, auto-rotate or something when we come into land or just won't have the, the air density pressure or whatever to land this thing. And uh, so that was a bit of an opener when you're just coming in at sort of, and the guy just puts the skids down and just slides in for like you know, oh. 10, 10 meters in the chopper and then stops it. <laughs> so that was, wow. that was really uh, an eye-opener, but really beautiful little mountain. And uh, once you're away from the mine and because uh, the, the scenery is, is unbelievable, yeah. And, uh, Were you able to take off from the top? Not, not from the very, very top. I think in today's glide, if I'd had like a double skin, not a double skin, uh, uh, the little bantam, we probably would have mm. managed to do it. Where you could throw it up. It's just the rock is so gnarly and so yeah, it's gritty. It just grabs every. Well, it's very steep, but the the rock is very sharp. It's like yeah. you know, the back of a. I don't know what to. It's like it's like Feinbos in the Cape, but it's rock, and it just yeah. grabs everything. It holds your lines. It tears it. I mean, when we climbed mm. it, we wore leather gloves. That's how rough the rock is, just so you don't cut your hands up. Wow. And, the, huh. you know, the leather gloves get shredded just from the uh, – so it's a limestone that's from the range, just full of these sharp little sort of inch, inch and a half little spikes everywhere over the rock. It's quite amazing, yeah. Huh. Um, so we couldn't take off, so we walked back down. They're sort of like a – it's about a 1,200-meter scramble. And they've, they've put up some little rope, uh, Tyrolean sort of bridges you ha haul yourself over and whatnot. Um, and uh, we took off. We then walked back. We, on the way up, we then found a place where this would be, would be comfortable to take off here. And uh, you know, there's a little bit of gravel around so we, the, the gliders wouldn't get too damaged and the lines wouldn't get caught on. Uh, and we took off there. Um, yeah, so we took off literally about 200, 250 meters below the summit, yeah. So that was huh. the first time someone and, had actually flown off uh, Papua New, from Papua New Guinea. I bet. I mean, yeah. I'm, I've, I've seen pictures of it and stuff. I mean, aren't you totally surrounded by jungle? Where, where do you land? Yeah, you, you land could back have, at the uh, mine, or no? We landed back at, at back at our base camp, um, huh. where the helicopter dropped us, just because they just said, "Please okay. don't fly over the mine. We'll get into trouble. They'll probably try and shoot you down." They had okay. a whole lot of yeah. reasons why not to, but we could have easier flown all the way back down to to the town. Yeah, would have been oh, a beautiful okay. flight. Yeah, yeah. Because you could fly to the coast, actually. It's not that far. So, oh, really? Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. How high is Karsten's? Um, Karsten's is it's just under five thousand, I think. Um, oh, it's big. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not a small. Yeah, it's five Karsten's. I wrote it down here somewhere because I knew you'd ask me. Uh, yeah, five thousand. Yeah, just under five thousand. Yeah. Oh so, wow. Okay. Yeah. So they land you at four and a half, and then you've got, I think, like one and a half thousand meters of actual sort of rocky scrambling to to do. Yeah. yeah. It's quite steep. I think oh, it's about wow. a grade, probably five, nine at, at one place. Yeah. So, oh, okay. yeah, they've got a rope which you just clip onto and you, you can sort of self belay yourself. But yeah. So, huh. yeah. Wow, cool. No, no, nice, nice little no, that's, that's more, that's way more of an adventure than Kazi. Yeah. For <laughs> yeah. Sure. Then we went to Kazi. <laughs> we then went, landed there, and uh, took, hired a car, drove up there. And uh, walked up to that little mountain across all the little grids and the, the things on stilts. Uh, <laughs> they've got that winding road. I don't know if you, you did it there, not the road, but they've got this, the, the grids on stilts so that you yeah. don't work on, walk on the, on the marsh. Yeah. Uh, right. And, yeah, and yeah, damage yeah. any of the, I guess, damage any of the fauna and flora. Uh, so right. we climbed up there and then we just flew down the literally like 150 meters. And you can't fly much further <laughs> unless it's a really thermic right. day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, Australia's got a lot going for it, but mountains aren't really one of them. No, no. no. And <laughs> we should have actually gone and flown at, uh, 
uh, airs uh, or something. Yeah, yeah, on the way out or something. But we didn't. We were we we set aside two days to go, two weeks to go fly a climate uh, in um, Tasmania, which was fantastic. Tasmania is a beautiful country. Yeah, nice little yeah. island. Eh? Wow. Yeah, and the fantastic rock climbing there. So we went and did that for two mm. weeks, and then we went to try and fly off uh, Mount Cook after that. Ah, wicked. So, yeah, so I've got a brother who stays in Christchurch, so, um, who lives there. So yeah. we went across to him and stayed with him and then popped over, and we uh, helicoptered into Mount Cook. And because I discovered Mount Cook, if you look at my website, Seven Summit, Seven Flights, it's Seven Summit, Seven Flights plus one, when the website <laughs> opens. And the plus one, my daughter discovered that uh, New Zealand's actually the eighth continent. It was declared, ah. it was declared its own continent in uh, 2017. So, wow, there you yeah, go. Yeah. Good thing you got it. Good thing you ticked it off. No, well, I didn't, we, didn't, we didn't get it. We, we just, we walked. Ah. It was out of condition. So we, we flew into the camp to the, the high hut there and we trapped all the way up um, and got to the Bergstrand and we couldn't cross it. It was just too wide. And the guide, not the guide, but the, the helicopter pilot had told us, no, it's probably out of condition. You won't get across the, the Bergstrand, which is basically uh, the opening between the rock and the, where the glacier pulls away from the, the base of the mountain. And it was like 10 meters wide. And sort of, you know, you look down, it's like 100 meters. No way you're going to cross this thing. And we couldn't find a way across it. So uh, we just turned and we walked out, which was, we should have called for a helicopter to come pick us up. But wow, that was a walkout. Uh, very deceptive there in New Zealand, those mountains, the beautiful mountains. Uh, so I want to mm. go back and fly there and uh, again sometime now that I've got a brother that lives there. But, uh, mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some neat so, flying going on down there. A guy named Benjamin Kellett and no, I've Louis seen and, and there's a bunch Tom of them. They're doing thirty who did that big traverse. And, yeah, yeah. And, wow, no, really cool now. stuff happening yeah. down there in the Southern Alps. So, uh, really yeah. cool, very cool. All right, and so, then I, so I think we're up to Everest now, right? Is that so, next? Yeah, that was yeah. Then it was Everest, and that was really just uh, saving up and saving up, and yeah, I'm glad uh, the money or waiting for my money that I put away to to grow, which it had, and uh, then uh, I had my operation for my knees, had to recover from that. So I had both knees done at the same time, and uh, uh, which was probably the most painful experience I've ever had <laughs> when you yeah, wake up. A, and the, my, the, the doctor is a friend of mine, the orthopedic surgeon, uh, Dr. Mark Human, and uh, um, he said, okay, normally I don't allow any of my patients to have both done at the same time, but I know you and you're a fit guy and... Uh, I know you can put up with the pain, but he says no amount of morphine is going to stop this pain. And boy, he wasn't joking when he said that. That was the really? most excruciating. I think when I woke up and that pain just hit me, you put pump that little morphine bottle as much as you want. It did nothing. I mean, it, oh, was, it was the, yeah, probably for a good, uh, I reckon, five hours, six hours. It was the most agonizing pain I've ever gone through, but it was, oh. <laughs> we survived it. But yeah, yeah. And uh, happy now to be back on my feet. And uh, yeah, then I decided that's it. And I can go and do Everest once I recovered from that. Yeah. So, and that was a, an experience in the whole. It really was. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, XC Mag did a great article on this, but you know, so for those of you listening, you check that out. But yeah, so give, give us the highlights. That was, so, yeah, did you do it with the gal that was doing the photography and stuff too, or no, that you said that was too expensive? No, no, yeah. So I, I just went by myself and I took a an Insta three sixty and basically filmed it like that and yeah. 
Mm. So I've got hundreds of hours of walking up Everest and all the stuff that goes with Everest and the flight down. And uh, so I still have to do something with that. I just put a, a friend of mine put a little clip together, but uh, um, that's sort of on YouTube. And yeah, um, but Everest itself was, it's been a, a dream of mine to climb it from uh, ever since I you know, was climbing since a teenager. So, so that was uh, um, already a, a dream of mine coming true. And then uh, since I could paraglide, why not fly off it? So mm. when you look back in the history of just the history of Everest itself is just, um, yeah, it's just one of those iconic mountains. Um, if, you, if you put aside all the other stuff that goes with Everest and all the, you know, the, the nonsense about it these days and uh, all the, the politics and the, uh, I, don't, I don't know who you are. Um, the people that shouldn't be climbing it that do climb it and get hauled up Everest and all the yeah all the yeah. drama that goes with yeah. it and the politics. Put sure. that aside, it is a it is an amazing uh, iconic mountain. It really is. It's got a lot of history to it, um, and flying history as well. Actually, you know, Mark, uh, our butcher is uh, Bob Bovin, or however you say the French name. I should know how to do that because my mother's French. Uh, <laughs> so he flew off it in nineteen eighty eight. Uh, Huh. And then, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and he landed, you know, the gliders, I think it was actually 1987 when he flew off it. And he took off from just below the summit and only made Camp 1 just above the ice fall. That was his glide angle. <laughs> but he managed to get out Jeez. of the glider. It was like a one in, <laughs> less than a, like a one in a, one and a half, no, one in a half or something. I don't know. It was like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> like a 70 degree slit this angle boom straight down <laughs> basically in a parachute he was parachuting yeah. down yeah uh, a week suit would have got further um, yeah right way further <laughs> and uh then there was uh um others have flown off it but like from uh much lower off on the mountain from sort of six thousand meters here and uh, five thousand meters here and there um but all of it was illegal and i i had had this little goal to do it legally and uh i asked uh um various people to try and eventually someone actually an ex-alps pilot put me on to asian trekking uh that was mm. steven sherpa who, who runs that company and it's i think it's the oldest uh everest company uh it's been running for 45 years uh his father started it and uh Dawa Stephen took it over and he, they're well-connected family in terms of being there for so long and they're well-connected in Nepal. And uh, he started skydiving Everest where they take you up at base camp and you can jump out of a helicopter at uh, 6,000 meters and, and land back at base camp. So he started that little thing as well. So I, I thought this is definitely the guy to speak to. He's got the contacts. He's, he, he's got skydiving approved there. You know, he just has to get us flying mm. off the mountain. So he went knocking around on doors for me uh, and came back with a no. So this is like a year a year before the trip and then he came back six months later no and i said okay well i'm booking with you now anyway and if i have to i'm gonna do it illegally so i told him that and he and nod <laughs> and argued with me and i said well yeah let's carry on knocking on the door and he carried on doing that and luckily for us one of the ministers actually changed portfolios changed and they got a, a new guy in and they had just been through um uh COVID. And their numbers were down with tourists. So Dawa mm. went to him, Dawa approached him and said, listen, we let's give this to this chap. It's going to increase a lot of uh, 
give us a lot of exposure if he manages to fly off. And there's a lot of pilots out there that might want to come and do this. You know, you never know. This might, you know, mm. it might uh, take traction. Uh, and so the day before, I actually, my summit day. So you go there and you're climatized for like a month and a half. And then you wait for the window and the opportunity to climb Everest because you have to wait for the right, uh, for the, the jet stream to lift and move out the way. So you can actually climb it without getting killed. Um, and obviously for flying, you don't want the jet stream around. Uh, and literally the day before the night, he came to me and said, Pierre, I've got good news. They have just emailed me uh, wow. your permit. And I was, oh, wow. thank fuck for that. Because I was going to, he said, yeah, we are always <laughs> talking in base camp. No, don't, you can't do it legally. I'm going to get fined. You're going to get fined. Please don't. It's not worth it. And paragliding will never be allowed again. And yeah. But the permit came through, and uh, now it's it opened the whole region up. You know, Jirai Kurin, who is there now, a friend of mine. I don't know if you know Jirai from, he's been in, in Cross Country Magazine a couple of times. I think he's done mm -hmm. Excel once. Uh, yep. yeah, he, he went there flying, and he was flying around that area. So they, they now opened it up, and you can actually just go pay your little permit and go fly there. Uh, wow, it is wow, very busy. Okay. I wouldn't, uh, in terms of helicopters and that, it is a busy valley. I mean, it is helicopters non-stop going up and down. So I would take an mm. airband radio and try and communicate with them because generally the helicopters are in the middle of the valley uh, and we'd be on the side of the mountain. So we should be pretty safe. But yeah. yeah. Um, How did yeah. Babu do it then? What, did, did they have a permit or was that illegal? No, they did it illegally. And, uh, oh, I didn't know that. Just because he's Nepalese and that, they turned a blind yeah. eye and gave him a slap on the wrist. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So he, he, got, he got away with it. But I must say his... his Tour operator wasn't very impressed because <laughs> he went on right. as a as helping the cook, a sort of a helper, and then him and the cook just went up the mountain. Really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that <laughs> background. No, no, uh. they got uh, yeah, they weren't very uh, very happy with Babu, but uh, I think in retrospect now everyone laughs about it. But <laughs> it was, yeah, it was an amazing really, adventure really. what he did. I mean, wow, Poor. taking off, flying all the way awesome. down, and then jumping in a canoe, and wow, no, it was amazing what he did. Really all amazing. the way to the sea. Yeah, that was that was. Yeah. That was a good mission for sure. So, so Babu was what part of the... me getting my my permit as well. Actually, he he the the minister of tourism then said, "Well, we want you to be signed off that you can actually fly, that you are a paraglider pilot, that you are able to fly off Everest." And we would like Babu because Babu is the Nepalese guy who flew off Everest last. We want him to approve you. So I thought, oh, well, that should be okay. I walked, I know Babu, I met him at Exalts. We walked together for a whole day in 2013. So I just sent him a mail saying, Babu, please, when you get this from the minister, sign me off. And uh, he said, no problem. Yeah. So I was lucky in that sort of sense that uh, mm. that, that mm. happened and that Babu managed also. So I guess Darwin, Stephen and Babu were maybe putting a little pressure on the minister and it, it worked out for me. And yeah. So working. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. Babu is such a good soul. He, I can't remember which one he competed in. It was one of the ones I did. I don't know if it was 2015 or 2017, but he had done Everest, you know, that had happened. Yeah. And then he, he showed up at the, at the Red Bull X Alps and I, I might have this slightly wrong, but he, he gave a presentation for that club in Geneva and I was there, I was giving a presentation on some film that I had done. I can't remember which one that was either, but then afterwards he came up to me and said, Hey, I would really like to, can you tell me about this thing I've hear I keep hearing about called the Vario? And I went, what? <laughs> and he said, he said, Yeah, I, I would like to compete in the Red Bull X Ops with a Vario. Can you can you tell me how it works? And I 
are you fucking kidding me, Babu? Seriously? <laughs> it was just, <laughs> I just gave him a big hug. I'm so glad there are people like you still out there in the world. You know, you've flown off Everest, but you haven't flown with a Vario. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, he was an amazing Very character, cool. Babu. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fantastic. When I was with him, you know, he'd be broken English, but it was great. We still managed to communicate, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, see, he's, he's got a, he's got a very smiling. nice setup uh, where he is now. So I've heard, yeah, yeah I've yeah, heard it's amazing. Yeah. I've heard it's amazing. Well, so, so what were the what were the unique memories from the you know how how was it? Get you flew off the top, didn't you? No, they were they didn't. So my permits only allowed me to fly from eight thousand meters. Ah, and that's right. Okay, yeah, they they wouldn't let me go from the top for whatever reason. I, yeah, you know, the permit to fly off, besides the climbing permit, the flying permit, they, they came to uh, an agreement. Actually, there was an Australian guy. They were also trying to fly off at the same time as me. Um, I've forgotten his name now. I should have written it down. Uh, and he, so both of us were applying, and, and Dawa Stephen was the guy who was applying for both of us. Um, and he agreed, before I got there, before I got to Nepal, he was there like a week earlier, he had gone and sat down, even though the minister hadn't uh, hadn't agreed to giving us a permit yet. He had negotiated a five thousand dollar permit fee to fly off, mm. uh, which was a bit of a shock to me. To I suddenly had to fork out five thousand dollars, which was uh, not good for our bank account. But uh, anyway, yeah. it was uh, uh, to fly off. So uh, Ken, it was Ken. That was his name. I said thanks, Ken, for that. For that, but uh, maybe that's uh, I wasn't in those negotiations, and uh, Ken came to that. But uh, I wish he had stuck to like a thousand dollars or five hundred dollars. But anyway, it was uh, so. Anyone now that goes to go and try and fly the Everest, they're going to have to fork out a five thousand dollar. That's kind of the precedent. And and, and Ken sort of said that's it, no more. And maybe if he had gone, said maybe eight thousand for the top, they would have said yes, go to the top. I don't know if it was a money thing. Or if mm. it was a, they never told us. Or if it was just a political thing because the summit is, is shared with China. They didn't want to have any any fallout with China with someone flying off the top. You know, I, sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. So they just said no, eight thousand. That's it. Please don't go above that. Uh, so that's basically the South Pole. Um, and that was, uh, yeah. When I got there, I so I never went to the top. Uh, I'd, I'd love to go to the top of Everest, but I had to make a decision because of the weather that was changing. Um, so, and to go back and climb Everest and pay that fee again, which in South African terms is a lot of money. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's going to cost you, you know, uh, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000, yeah. The cheapest mm. sort of trip. Wow. So, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, so, to pay that sort of money again to go and climb just to the top of the mountain, uh, I don't know if I really want to, if I'm that keen. I'd rather go and do another 8,000 meter peak. Yeah, uh, you know that like Joyoy or one of those, which I probably am going to do sometime, and they cost a tenth of the price of Everest. So, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, so it was. Uh, you know, when I got up there, it was the decision to. The, the weather was coming in, and and it's amazing. The guys they get their weather from, uh, from guys in Switzerland and someone from actually in the states that gives the weather as well, uh, and they they accurate down to the to almost like the hour. It's amazing. Wow. And they can predict it that that well. Um, huh. You know, I woke up and the guys just said, "Listen, the, my summit day." Uh, they just said it's going to be snowing by twelve between twelve and two o'clock. It's going to be a whiteout on top. You won't be able to take off. You know, from the south summit upwards, basically from seven. I think they said from seven and a half thousand meters upwards. It's going to be snowing. Uh, 
and so then you sit there and you're discussing with your Sherpa, you know, if you fit, if you really fit, can you make it back down here by 10 in the morning? Uh, and you're leaving, you know, the, the summit day, it's only like 800 meters or 700 meters that you have, you have to go. No, no, it's 850 mm. odd meters. And so it's not very really high if you think about it, if you're at sea level or at, at 2,000 meters in the Alps, that's quick, you know. Um, but up there, it takes you, the fit guy will go leave at like nine in the evening and only be back down at about 11, 12 the next day. Wow. So it's, so it's, uh, yeah. it's like a 15 hour to 18 hour day. Uh, yeah. and I'd, I'd been sick, uh, quite sick at camp two on my way up and I had stayed for four days. I hadn't eaten for three and I'd vomited myself, you know, to, to like, seven kilos lighter and uh, so <laughs> i wasn't in the strongest and best shape and uh i you know when i got up there i just said I, I took it after that i just took it camp by camp if i get to camp three fantastic if i'm feeling sick at camp three i'm gonna bail and fly down from there if i get to the south coal that's fantastic you know i eventually got to the south coal and i was feeling okay and i said okay maybe i can go for the summit but then they told me this weather prediction and i thought okay I'm going to have to make a decision and I'm not that fit. So I'm not going to make it up and down by, by 12 o'clock. Uh, and my teammates who went, they only made it down uh, around about the quickest, I think was around about three o'clock. So he came down wow. in the whiteout in the snow and the slowest, mm. which maybe would have been me because I, was, I wasn't in the best of shape, came down at like six that evening. So uh, wow. I decided so went right to the storm. I'm, gonna, I'm here to fly off it. Let me fly off and... Uh, the summit I can always tag another time if I make a lot of money along the way I can go back and, and tag it another time. So, mm. so uh, yeah, we got up at six and checked and there were clouds in the valley and couldn't see the body. Yeah, couldn't see landing. It was just a whiteout as far as you could see at, at sort of five thousand, six thousand meters. The clouds had just banked up. So I went back, had tea, had tea, got up, checked at ten. Then the wind had picked up and I was howling like sixty k's an hour. Uh, and the clouds, but the clouds had broken up. So at least something was happening. Basically, the whole air mass was now coming up, up, uh, up the valley and up, up to to our altitude. Because you're looking at, you know, you got five thousand meters, and you got six to seven, and then you got seven to eight. You got these different sort of altitudes as you go up. Yeah. And the weather patterns seem to differ between altitudes. It's quite amazing. Um, and then uh, we're having more tea. That's all you do up there is drink tea, and. Uh, my Sherpa was having his hundredth cigarette, and uh, it's amazing those guys. They can, they go the whole way up just puffing away. Hey, they are so strong, it's unbelievable. Wow. Um, anyway, so we are having our, our hundredth cup of tea as well, and suddenly the tent just—it's not actually shaking as much as it was like an hour and a half ago. I said, "Okay, this this is getting promising. Let me go and have a look." So zip everything on and climb out, um, and walk to the edge and. The wind was feeling, uh, this is maybe takeoffable. It's like, feels 35 to 40 k's an hour. That's what it feels like. You know? And you think, yeah, at home, if I take off, I'm going to be, have to go on speed bar straight away and maybe I'll be able to edge forward and get out of the, the compression here. Um, but okay, that's, that's looking promising. Walk a bit further. Okay, the clouds have opened up. There's gaps in the clouds. So, okay, no, I think I can, I can do this. So uh, went back to the tent, started kitting up. My Sherpa came out. We called some other Sherpas from other teams because they tried the glider. The glider was just blowing all over the place. And it was uh, you know, one of those lightweight gliders. So they 
the wind just blows them like a like a rag. It's uh, mm. so I got them mm. to hold it down for me, and uh, and I thought, hell, when I pull this thing up, I'm going to get this wind is it's feeling strong, but I'm going to get yanked backwards before I get it under control. Uh, anyway, so I pull it up, tell the guys to leave it, pull it up, and nothing happens. It like pops up. Have to control a little bit. It's a bit faster than usual. Obviously, at 8,000 meters, the thing is now reacting a bit like a sort of a comp wing. You sort of have to catch it quite quickly. And uh, yeah. this, is an, this is like an A glider we're talking about. So it's, uh, okay, this is doable, but it's not lifting me. It's not dragging me. And then I have to start bloody running to get this thing to fly. I think I must have the, the longest sprint. Well, I felt like a sprint on, on Everest as well. Must go down on the record <laughs> books. I had to like run 20 or 30 meters to get the glider to fly. And you're running Crazy. there, and I was so out of breath. It was unbelievable. I, I thought I was going to pass out. Even though I had, had oxygen on me, it was, and I took off, gave a yell, and then I'd sat and I panted. I thought I was going to pass out. I just kind of like hung there, sort of in a delirious state, and slowly the oxygen, I actually took my mask off because I thought I could breathe. I just couldn't get oxygen. You get that feeling where you can't breathe, you, know, you just can't get enough oxygen. Um, yeah. And eventually I thought, okay, that's stupid. Put the mask back on. That's where the oxygen is. <laughs> <laughs> and sort of sucking big breaths. And eventually I sort of flew out and we discussed it with the helicopter pilots. I'll stay on the right-hand side of the valley all the way down and do the dog leg. And I've chosen a spot to land down at Gorka Shep, which is only grass, because I didn't want to land in, in the rocks and at base camp or the ice, just in case yeah. Yeah, I came in too fast because it's, it's five and a half thousand meters you're landing at. Uh, and... Uh, my in the video, you can just hear me breathing. This I'm I'm breathing like a like a run, you know, sprint of a, a thousand meters as quick as I could the whole way down. The whole way down, it's just as, uh, 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 the whole way. <laughs> anyway, but it was yeah, and it was totally surreal. It was unbelievable. I mean, that flight was just yeah. Even though I only took off at eight thousand meters, if I'd actually got my breath, or maybe I don't know how you would have. Maybe if I'd had a bigger glider and a, maybe a more high-performance glider, I think I could have actually caught something and gone to the top, ridge sort up to the top. I really do. Wow. I was just in such Crazy. a buggered state. I just didn't, you know, I just couldn't do anything else. I was just so broken from, from that yeah. run. Um, and someone is going to do it. Someone's going to go and take off from there if you take up a, a nice sea glider or a, a D-wing. Uh, and a little bit bigger than your normal size. Something that has a little bit of performance. You'll... Actually, I think I'm sure you could actually take off from Gorka Shep and fly to the top of Everest. So someone's definitely going to do that as well. Um, yeah. So. Wow. Because I hit, I went through Amazing. a big thermal. I went through a thermal. I look at my track log. I went through a two and a half meter second thermal for about a good 20, 30 meters. And I didn't even register it. I was so buggered. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you could, I could have actually taken that up and, and the clouds were going up the side. I, yeah. I think I could have registered it up to the top. But yeah. Anyway. Wow. But wow, yeah, it, was, cool. it was really a surreal experience and just flying through those clouds and you know, you're flying over base camp and you're still at uh, 7,000 meters going over base camp. You hired them Pomori, you know, it's just uh, unbelievable. Yeah. So, there must be something yeah. so gratifying about, I mean, all these years and money and time invested and everything and just, and then having the experience. As well, well, I think it was. You know, from flying, if you look at it just purely flying and, and forget about the scenery, is that it wasn't, you know, it was a flight of 50 down basically of just over 20 minutes. So from that point of view, it wasn't, uh, you know, but just flying off Everest and 
just that experience and flying through that history of it. It was just so, ah, uh, it was just unbelievable. I mean, it, it, it brought me to tears when I was landing. I was just, yeah, uh, I was overwhelmed. Yeah. So it really was uh, very, very special. Oh, I'm sure you were. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a nice yeah. one to have ticked off now. Must and be able done. to breathe again. Must have been nice. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, that was, it was nice to get into the warm, warm air from like minus, I think it was minus 15. It wasn't that cold on top, but uh, yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, and luckily, luckily, wow. Dawa Stephen had the sense to send a Sherpa because I hadn't actually planned. I knew I was landing, but I hadn't, I didn't have any kit to, you know, I had my, I had my long johns and then my down ever suit over that. So to walk back and now you now you're in like you know 10 15 degrees so luckily he had the sense to to send a uh, one of the porters down with some tackies and shorts and a shirt and so i could walk back i sort of landed eight eight k's away from base camp so yeah right right yeah wow, no cool. it's, it's fantastic and so that leaves um that leaves vincent do you have a timeline on that or yeah, that, is, you said that's the most expensive yeah so that 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 is Another that's going to be so this Everest one I did it Asian trekking or one of the the cheapest ways you can do it um, and that cost me fifty thousand dollars it was actually forty five I think yeah um, so Vincent now I've been looking around and uh, you have to go through a, I don't think you can actually do it by yourself I must just research it a bit more but I want to do it now in December January coming up uh, and just looking at the cheapest yeah. there is going to be around about. 50, I think around about $60,000. So it's uh, not cheap either. Yeah. But it's, it sounds like a big adventure. So I'm probably going to go Plenty of building and, do... and, and tandems in your future. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, I've got, I've got the money actually, luckily <laughs> enough. So I've, I've put the money away. So it's there. I must just uh, now book it and nice. with, the, with the right company. And, book it and make it happen. And I'll probably go and do a, an Aconcagua trip, maybe guide one up in, in December. Then I'll be acclimatized. And then go down and do it, uh, mm. and and uh, smart. It's it's like a 10, 10, 11 day trip. So it's not a, a long trip, yeah. Uh, mm. but yeah, it's it's an exciting well, trip. Will, will, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, that's also like Alaska, a very neat part of the world. I, it is. I, yeah, no, it's going to we'll be beautiful have to, down there. We'll have to bring you back to the show for the 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 postpartum on that one and see yeah. see yeah. how it went, and we'll we'll have to get you back to talk about that. But Pierre, thanks for sharing all these amazing stories man yeah, You've, I, you're I, I don't even face. know what the time I've been, is I've been smiling is... for an hour and a half <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but hopefully if i do that then we would have done the seven summits except for denali so yeah that could be a yeah 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 so I'm well hopefully that to... gives me some motivation to keep lobbying over here to try to get this ridiculous rule removed i don't know yeah, that'll happen yeah. in our lifetimes but the you know the change is slow when it comes to government but it'd be nice to get rid of that but thanks for all the stories man i really appreciate yeah. it I'm, I'm glad we we were uh finally able to connect here thank you yes man. yeah no, hopefully we see you soon hopefully i'll come and do red rocks sometime but yeah do you want to come oh, over? I'd to love Africa, to. That'd be Africa great. We will take care of you in, in style, yeah, man. We, we, we have some, some, yeah, we've got the American hospitality here to show you. So just let me know. We'll take care of you. That'd be a lot yeah. of fun. Cool. You'd love it. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Cool, bud. Good. Okay. Thanks a lot, Nice man. talking to you, bud. Cheers. Cool. Thanks. Bye. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. 
You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And, of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind-the-scenes costs. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So, for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it would be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I... For a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear we don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account. Of course, that'll be lifetime and hopefully in a, you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. Uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought Cloud-Based Mayhem merchandise, T-shirts or hats or anything, you should be all set up. You should have an account. And you should be able to access all that bonus material now. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support, and we'll see you on the next show. Thank you. Thank you.